It's actually one of my favorite parts of the service is just shaking hands with everybody and catching up and fellowshipping, which is absolutely fantastic. I was thinking about this when I was reading John 4, which we're going to look at today. But in my life, have I ever had an abnormal event or something that was out of the ordinary? And then this last week, something happened. I was at work, I was in our shop, and I'm talking on the phone, and I'm staring out the window. And I look down at the windowsill, and there's a little hummingbird on a tape measure. And I'm like, oh, poor little guy didn't make it. So, get off the phone, I go outside with the hummingbird on the tape measure, and I look at it, and it's moving just a little bit. I'm like, John, come here. Now, John's worked with us for almost six months. He was a roughneck for 25 years. And we all know how roughnecks are. And he always calls me boss, which is, hey, boss, what you got going on? I said, John, look at this hummingbird. I think it's still alive. He's like, oh, man. And this big, soft teddy bear came out. I said, I don't know what to do. I know. You put that bottle of fruit punch in the back of my truck. Go get it. So he goes and he gets fruit punch. I'll show you a picture right here. And uh, we put it in the cap and, and I'm holding it under the hummingbird. And, and we did this for two hours. Don't tell my boss. It would move a little bit more. It would move a little bit more. We'd leave it there. We'd come back. And he starts really getting into it. He's like, how about, how about I tip his head up and then you could kind of get it down its throat. And right there, I pulled my phone out because I thought he was going to start crying. He's like, come on, little guy. Come on. Come on. Sad to say, he didn't make it. And it was a bummer. We tried. We gave it our best. But it was really neat watching the compassion that came out of John the Roughneck. And I thought, you know, that is very unusual and abnormal. And I think if we were honest, we could probably all agree that there are times in life when things are less than exciting. Where they're unbelievably ordinary. And we could even say to ourselves, it's just another day. And I think in that, a lot of times what's happening in life is paralleled with our relationship with Jesus. Jesus said in, in Matthew 13, 13, and he's explaining to some people why he spoke in parables. He said, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. And so Jesus would speak in parables a lot of the times because what happens in life is sometimes we're a little too close to the situation to see it clearly. We're a little too close to understand it. It's a little too personal for us to really get what's going on. And we find ourselves in these states where we could basically call it the doldrums. Now, the doldrums are an actual thing. Before the modernization of the boat engine, the doldrums were a part of the equator, uh, a part of the ocean near the equator, where there's such substantial calms in the winds and ocean current 
that sailors used to fear this area because their boat would float aimlessly. And a lot of times these guys would perish because they couldn't get out of the doldrums. And doesn't that happen so much in life where we get into this doldrum state, where we get into this spot where life just isn't what we thought it was going to be? The actual definition of the doldrums are a spell of listlessness and despondency, a part of the ocean near the equator abounding in calms, light-shifting winds and squalls, a state or period of inactivity, stagnation, or slump. More and more often, I realize how much I need God's living water in my life. And we're going to read about that in this passage. My whole life, and I was thinking about this, because we've all been in that spot where it's like, ugh. But my whole life might not be in stagnation, but there are parts of it that always are. And so, how does God's living water have an impact and an effect on me? In John 4, starting in verse 4, we read this incredible story. Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His food, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, I replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. There's so many different aspects about this passage that I absolutely love. One of the things that I'm looking at at this one is, for a moment, this Samaritan woman didn't recognize Jesus, who was right in front of her. She didn't recognize who he truly was. She did eventually. And was it her own situation that caused her to not recognize Jesus right in front of her? Was it because she was living in adultery? Was it because she was a Samaritan and he was a Jew? Was it because she didn't feel good about who she was, which became a natural roadblock for her to recognize God's goodness and love and grace in her life, which I think happens a lot? We, we don't like what we are, and it becomes a blockade to us actually seeing God? 
Whatever it is, sometimes I think we're too close to what's going on in life to really see clearly. And when we get into that doldrum state, it becomes so hard for us to really recognize God. And when we stop looking for God in our everyday lives, faith turns from a lifestyle to a word. And what happens is, instead of the wind of God pushing our sail, we become stagnant. And we get this slump in our life. Matthew 5.6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Hunger and thirst. What does it look like to hunger and thirst for God? So that I'm not in this state of stagnation in my life, in my relationship with Him. What does it look like to really be desperate, for lack of a better word? Uh, when I was 19, I went through an internship at our church. and I was doing the student ministry, and there was another guy. He was in his mid-20s. His name was Daniel, and he was doing an internship with me as well. We had an office together. We worked together, prayed together, studied together every single day. He did, he did the college group. After a year of our internship, uh, we were either going to be extended an internship or we got to move on. The church came to me and they didn't extend my internship. They gave me a full-time pastoral position. They went to Daniel and they said, thank you. Go and God bless. That was tough. It was tough for Daniel. It was tough for me. One of the reasons why is we were both very close to the situation. So I didn't understand completely. He didn't understand completely. He kind of fizzled out of college ministry after a few months. And um, I, of course, started working full time at the church. About six months later, I ran into him. I hadn't seen him for a long time. He stopped into our youth service after the service on a Wednesday night. And we're talking and we're just catching up, and it was really good to see him. But I'm staring at him like, this guy looks like he's dying. So I finally asked him, I said, Daniel, are you doing okay? He was skin and bones. His eyes were sunken in really bad. Like, are you doing okay? And he goes, I'm doing a 40-day fast. I'm on day 36. (laughs) Like, I can tell, man, you look rough. And he goes, man, I've been so desperate to know what God's purpose is for me that I just, I'm laying everything I am at the table. I got to hear from God. We had this incredible conversation. Three months later, Daniel ends up moving to Sweden with a ministry that goes all around the world drilling wells for villages that don't have any water. When he was in Sweden... He met his wife, Sigorn. They have two incredible children. To this day, they are still doing that. And I think about the process that he went through where it was painful and it hurt. He didn't understand. He didn't see clearly. He was kind of in this listless place. And so he began to hunger and he began to thirst for God. And what it led him to was the biggest purpose that he'll ever have in his life and the ministry that he gets to do in his family. And it's really neat to see what, what God has done with him. Psalm 42.1 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. And so, am I hungry 
for God in my life. When you look at Jesus when he was a little boy. Uh, in Luke 2, 4, 49 and 50, um, his family travels to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of the Passover, which was customary. They celebrate the Feast of the Passover. They leave Jerusalem. They're a day outside of Jerusalem, and his mom and dad go, where's Jesus? Anyone seen Jesus? I don't know. We thought it was you. They go back to Jerusalem. And it says, if you read it, on the third day, they find him. Three days, he's gone. He's in the synagogue. And he's reasoning with, with the teachers and the leaders. And it says that they're astounded by his wisdom. And his dad grabs him and he's like, where have you been? Didn't you know we've been looking for you? And Jesus said, did you not know that I would be about my father's work? He was about what God was doing. And I think about that. Do I actually live my life that way? Like in every situation, that I'm living in a way where I'm about God's business, not my own. That I'm hungry for God's plans for my life, not my own. Jesus is offering us living water in every part of our lives. But are we looking for it? Are we really, really looking for it? Or are we too close to our situation or to our state of mind that we just can't see Jesus? Sarah and I were going for a bicycle ride one time. We're out in the country, and it's a beautiful, calm day. And we're on this side of the road, and then there's a, the, the, the lane here, and there's a, this nice house over here, and this guy's on his riding lawnmower, and he's mowing his lawn. And we're bicycling. And here comes this yellow Cadillac. And all of a sudden, we hear, and so we look over and we stop. This little poodle comes charging down the driveway at us. The guy's on his lawnmower. He didn't, he didn't know. Cadillac's still driving. We stop. We're waving at the Cadillac. Stop, stop. Little dog doesn't stop. Yeah, 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 yeah. Runs right in front of the Cadillac, right in front of the tire, goes all the way around in the wheel well, boom, 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 and jumps up and goes, yeah, 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 right back into the yard. The guy slammed on his brakes. And we're standing there going, eh, and this guy was going. He didn't have a clue. His little dog just took on a 4,000-pound caddy and won. It was, it was, so I'm like, okay, what's the right thing to do here? The dog was sitting on the porch. <laughs> so I go walking down the driveway. Sir, uh, your dog just got hit by a Cadillac. Really? Yeah. If something happens in the next couple days, it's probably why. It went all the way around the wheel well. Huh. Well, thank you. <laughs> Maybe he didn't like that dog. But here's what I thought was, there was all of this stuff happening. We're screaming and yelling, Cadillac slamming on his brakes, dogs barking, and he's going... Not a care in the world. Not noticing anything that's actually going on. John 7.38 says, He who believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. To me, that does not sound like the doldrum state. That that is something that Jesus Christ has gifted every one of us with. Living water. And that we live in that. And that we walk in that. But are we looking for it? Are we asking for it? Are we hungering it? Are we craving it? 
Are we willing to go out of our way to go to that well? Another thing that I've thought about with this passage is something I need to do. I need to start more and more desiring and hungering God's activity in my life. Not my own activity. I need God's activity in my life. Psalm 27.4 says, uh, we'll read it from here. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. You know what? I think I need to desire His activity in my life more. I need Him working in my life. Life is tough enough. Why in the world would we ever do it without God? I was at the, uh, we, our family, were at the Montrose Recreational Center uh, a couple months ago. Have any of you been there? Okay. It's fun. They've got climbing walls and basketball courts and their pool is enormous and they've got high dives and the spinny slides that goes outside the building and it's a pitch black tunnel and it's great if you're a kid, but if you're an adult and you go down it, when you get to the bottom, they've got this huge uh, kids indoor water park where you can climb all over it and it's got the buckets of water and they dump and squirt gun cannons that go all over the place and I'm just kind of sitting there relaxing and there's this really big guy and he keeps looking at me. And he, he's got kids. He, eventually he comes over and he goes, Jake Wilkinson? Maybe. He goes, it's Zach Cameron. I'm like, Zach! We went to high school together. He was a senior when I was a freshman. He was an awesome basketball player and he's huge his dad was also one of our science teachers at the school and he was the only teacher that i knew of who was a very professed christian before we had moved to um gunnison he was really really involved at our church and uh just an incredible neat guy so naturally we start catching up on on life what's going on in his life he's a teacher at a middle school in grand junction and I start telling him what's going on with us. I, what, we've been really involved with our church in Gunnison and what's happening there. And the reason why he's asking me is we moved to Gunnison 11 years ago to actually start a church. And when we got here, we realized that we've got enough churches. Let's make the churches we have better. Okay? So anyways, I start telling him about what's kind of happened at our church. And then all at the same time, our church in, in Grand Junction had some stuff happen to it. And and so they've been on the phone and asking questions. And at the same time, what's going on at work for me is making a massive transition. And so essentially what I'm telling Zach is, I am at a huge crossroad in my life. And I'm really trying to figure out what God's saying to me. Because it affects not just me, it affects my family and my kids. And, and what does that look like? And he's, his wife goes, Zach! We got to go. And he goes, man, thank you for sharing all that. Can I pray for you before I go? And I'm like, sure. Great big Zach Cameron. Jake, in the middle of the play park, 
kids running everywhere. He puts his hand on me. Dear God, I pray right now that you would... He lays his hands on me and he just starts praying over me. And, and people are like, huh, don't see that every day. But do you know what I loved about that? He was living like he was hungry for God. And he was not afraid to show and display God's activity in his life right there. Was it inappropriate? Nope. Was it awesome? Yeah. Did it kind of catch me off guard a little bit? Uh Uh-huh. But did it do something for me? Huge. Absolutely huge. My hope and my prayer for me, for us, is that we will continue to see that living water in every part of our lives. That we'll desire and hunger God's activity. That we'll be involved. That we'll do something about who we are. That we'll be open to what God is saying. And heaven forbid, if we're in a doldrum state, if we're in a place where we feel stagnant, or it's just another day, that we would get to see God's living water poured out into those situations. And that we would actually feel this reprieve and life in Him again. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for this beautiful day, for Your love and Your goodness, for all You've done. God, we pray right now that You would pour out Your living water in every one of us. God, if we're in a doldrum state or if we're hurting or suffering, that we would have life there again through You. And if we're in a place where we're doing okay, then God, we pray that You would help us to display Your activity in our lives. That we might be used by You in our community with the people we work with, with the people we see. And that people would get to experience Your living water through us, just like Your Scriptures promise. Bless us, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.